This month, our Wednesdays will be rewinds of previous episodes with new stories every Sunday. But hang in there, folks. We are working on a significant change beginning the first week in September, which marks our fifth anniversary. Thank you for your patience as we fine-tune our exciting new plans. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with me is our researcher and storyteller, Paula Schleiss, an award-winning journalist who spent 30 years telling these kinds of stories for the Akron Beacon Journal. Hi, everyone. So, Steve, earlier this year, we met Michael Bonanno, a Broadview Heights man with a really interesting hobby. He travels to cemeteries all around the state, taking pictures of himself with grave markers of famous Ohioans. Then he posts these pictures along with a short story about who they are on his Facebook page, Too Late for Autographs. He's been doing this for five years, and followers of his Facebook page have gotten a real unique history lesson about who is buried in Ohio. Well, Michael has given us a lot of great ideas for episodes, and he's going to join us today because sometimes the mystery is the gravesite itself. Michael, thanks for joining us today. Paula, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Listen, before we get into these mysteries, and we're going to do a different template today. I'm going to tell you a short story about each of five mysteries, and then Michael's going to weigh in on them. But why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself and what inspired you to get started in this hobby? Well, like you mentioned, I'm from Broadview Heights, uh, about 10 miles south of Cleveland. Uh, I've been in the screen printing industry for like 30-some years, printed a lot of shirts for rock bands, for sports teams, uh, currently print for uh, Kent State and Baldwin-Wallace, Bowling Green. So, you know, I got into this, I guess, uh, probably started with my, honestly, my fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Paller, still remember her name, casually mentioned one day in class that she was cousins with Paul Newman. And I'm like, wow, I actually know somebody who knows Paul Newman personally. You know, and then you see an, an Ohioan walking on the moon, you know, Neil Armstrong and you know, all these presidents are buried here, and I'm thinking, who else is buried here? You know, and it just, it's just a, Facebook is a great format or, or launching pad to, to show these stories, you know? So it's really, honestly, what I think really got me going was I, I worked at a place called the Front Row Theater. We, we had people like, you know, Bob Hope and Sammy Davis Jr. back in the day. And I was just amazed at all these famous people that came through, through there. I met a lot of them. They, um, they all had connections to Ohio, you know, Bob Hope being from here and George Carlin's wife is from Ohio. Uh, Wayne Newton's wife is from Ohio. Pat Benatar's husband's from Ohio. Just all these people from Ohio had, you know, there's all kinds of connections with that. Do you remember Liberace? Oh, yeah. Yeah, his, his business manager was from Cleveland, went to Glenville High School with the guys who created Superman back in the oh, 30s. Wow. That's cool. Yeah, there, there's just so many connections here. And so, I don't know, it just makes me think of all the history that's in this state that nobody knows about or may not know about, I should say, and, and just... It's all in our backyard and just trying to get people to hear and know about it. That's all. There you go. Well, listen, we've got five gravesite mysteries to explore, so let's get started. Mystery number one is the Merchant Ball. Now, Charles Merchant was a well-known industrialist in Marion. That's north central Ohio. So not surprisingly, when he died, his grave in Marion Cemetery was marked in proportion to someone of his standing. There's a large five-foot-tall pedestal topped with a 5,200-pound polished black granite orb. It was installed in 1896. 
Now on this shiny sphere is a small dull gray circle. I'm guessing it was where the ball rested as the rest of it was being polished. But no worries, you can't see it when you install the ball on the pedestal. Well, at least you're not supposed to see it. But two years after the ball was installed, the family got a surprise. They saw that the gray spot was now on the side of the orb. This ball, which in no way could be moved by human hands, had somehow spun on its pedestal. Now, the ball hadn't been secured. Everyone expected gravity to keep a 5,200-pound boulder in its place. Still, the family didn't like that this bald spot was visible. So they had a crane brought in, lifted the ball, spun the gray spot back to the bottom, and this time secured it to the pedestal with a dollop of tar. It didn't matter. The ball moved again, and it's still moving. Not fast, mind you, and not always at the same rate. Back in the early 1900s, the cemetery recorded that the spot had moved to five inches in seven months. The current cemetery caretakers have said in recent years, it's moving anywhere from a quarter of an inch to two inches a year. At any rate, that sucker has really gotten around over the past century. There are pictures showing this bald spot near the top of the orb, others showing it on the side, others near the bottom. And the sphere has become quite the tourist attraction. Experts have even come out to do seismic and gravitational research on it. It's rare that you feel them, but Ohio has earthquakes happening all the time. So could those tiny vibrations be responsible? Of course, paranormal investigators have weighed in, going out to the cemetery to set up ghost-detecting equipment. Others have voted in favor of the idea of water freezing and thawing in the tiny divot where the ball rests on its base. Others have voted in favor of the idea of water freezing and thawing in the tiny divot where the ball rests on its base. Michael, they have not figured out what is causing this ball to move. What do you think? Boy, you know what? Uh, There's so many sites about this thing online, obviously. I I read some of the comments on one of them, and somebody from Bucyrus, Ohio, said that there are similar granite balls in cemeteries around there, not as big as the merchant one, Uh, but they said that the pedestals are also have divots in them at the top, and there's water collecting in these little divots, and they can go up to these balls and slightly move them with their hand. The water is like a great lubricant for that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so that made me think that that, seems like the most logical explanation you know for for the merchant ball is that that water you know underneath on the on the pedestal in the divot there were, do you um, think these balls they were moving were as big as this one because man no, no i no, can't even not. imagine the no. amount of water yeah. i mean if no, you threw the, a 5200 boulder into a pool i think it would still yeah. be kind of hard to move yeah no that's true that's true um there are other balls, one almost as big as the Merchant in Marion Cemetery, and it doesn't move. There's one that, in particular that doesn't move that's almost as big as that one. Interestingly, though, the family plot there is the grave sites. There's seven or eight family members buried in this plot where the, where the sphere is. And all their grave sites are miniature granite balls. And they're secured to probably a different kind of base, but you know they're only a few inches from the ground. Yeah. But they're about as big as bowling balls. They don't move. Now, whether, you know, because you, you mentioned the seismic activity or something like that, 
but these balls don't move. Now they could be secured in a different way, maybe a rod up the up the middle of the ball holding it in place, you know, instead of the pedestal. So maybe that's why they don't move. How interesting. The big one that shouldn't be moving is moving, and moving. these little ones aren't. Yeah, so I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but uh, yeah, I kind of lean towards, you know, it's funny that this thing's been moving for like 120 years or whatever it's been, and there's no real story attached to it as far as a haunting, you know, or a, or a paranormal thing, you know, like yeah. one of the merchant family members, this happened, so they're moving the ball because this had, you know, there's nothing like that. There's no solid, there's just that there's a paranormal activity going on there that's causing the ball to move, but no, nothing specific about it. Now, you think after 120 years, they might have invented a story by now about that. True, true. (laughs) You know, I'm not going with the haunting. I I would vote for the freezing and thawing because if you've got ice, the sun's going to hit it on one side. And if that ice thaws before the other side, I could see that ball just very slightly leaning down and causing it to go up. What astounds me is that the amount of ice that could possibly be in that tiny divot could be enough to actually lift this 5,200-pound ball. There you go. Not, that's crazy. And there's um, the mystery, right? Have you been inside the IX Center lobby lately? No. They have a big, giant granite ball that's bigger than the merchant, and it's sitting in a pool of water, and it, you can go up to it and spin it. Oh, you're kidding! Yeah, it's, that's it's cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Okay. <laughs> Well, there you go. Maybe Everything that's all it is. Everything goes back to the water. That's no, right. You know, I don't know. Just as a I, side note on, on the merchant thing, I called this Marion Cemetery just to get a, some information on Charles Merchant that all these websites mention is buried there. That you know, uh, and I asked if they could look up the burial records of him, and they couldn't find him. There, you know, she's like, "There's no Charles Merchant buried in this family plot," and I go, "Well." That's what everybody mentions as far as a name. She goes, well, let me, and she starts digging some more. She goes, I have a, a Christian ben, Benner. Christian Benner was the name who lived from 1846 to 1916. And, you know, on the bottom of the pedestal, there, there's a CB merchant engraved into the pedestal. Right. I don't know if you've seen any pictures of this. I did. Yeah, so I'm thinking, well, is it really Christian Benner? And they just got the name wrong? Somebody got the name wrong? She goes, well, she goes, no, wait a minute here. I have a CB merchant buried there. That could be Charles. I go, yeah, it could be. What's the dates on his, his birth and death dates? She goes, they're not there. She, I go, you don't have any? She goes, no, that means it's a really old burial. So I'm thinking, okay, well, if Christian was born in 1846, maybe the father is Charles, who was born, you know, who knows, around 1820. You know, he'd probably be at least 20 years older than Christian if that's his son. So I'm thinking maybe he died in 1896 when this uh, monument was put up, you know, and that's why they don't have the, I don't know why they don't have the dates though, but it's kind of crazy, just a little mystery inside of a mystery. A mystery inside of a mystery. I tried to look up stuff about Charles Merchant's life and I could not find, easily find any kind of biography on him online. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, you're right. Mystery within a mystery. (laughs) All right, Michael, let's go to mystery number two, the grave of Jacosat. Now, Jacosat was a chief of the Fox Indian tribe from the Minnesota area. He fought in the Black Hawk War against the U.S. back in 1831 and was wounded in that war. But later, when peace reigned, he made his way to Cleveland and settled down there. And that's where he met vaudeville promoter Dan Marble, and he joined his theatrical troupe, traveling throughout the country in plays that were supposed to represent Native American life. In March of 1844, Jacosat even traveled to England, 
where he met Queen Victoria, who was so impressed by him that she commissioned a portrait of him by her royal lithographers. That trip did not end well, though. Jacosat fell ill, possibly with tuberculosis, and he wanted desperately to get back to Minnesota so he could be buried with his people. But he only made it as far as Cleveland. He died there at the age of 34 and was buried in Erie Street Cemetery, the city's oldest cemetery, which is across the street from where the Cleveland Indians play. Now, there are a couple of reasons why people believe his grave is haunted. There's a large life-size marker that was laid over his grave, but very soon afterward, the stone cracked into several pieces. Now, that could have been vandals, but it's also been said it was his deathbed wish to be buried with his ancestors and that his request was not honored. They say Jacosat destroyed his own grave marker out of anger that he was trapped in Cleveland and unable to return home. Others wonder if he's upset because his remains might not even be there anymore. I found a site where historians said it's quite likely the old chief's remains would have been taken from the grave and used for medical experimentation, which was a very common practice in the 1840s. In either case, while the original stone is still lying on the grave in its many broken pieces, a second large standing stone was added to the grave. Michael, I know you don't believe in ghosts. What do you think about this one? Well, Jacosat is the Cleveland Indians' worst nightmare, I guess you could say. Uh, I've, I've read stories where he kind of wanders over to the stadium over there and he, uh, he affects or disturbs the games, uh, not in favor of the Indians. Uh, oh, he probably does not like Chief Wahoo. Yeah, well, you know what? There, there was I came across several reasons. One was that he didn't like Chief Wahoo being used as he as the mascot, which he doesn't have to worry about anymore because they officially got rid of him. Although right. They're still around. And the other was that the stadium, of course, was buried on ancient Indian burial grounds, which I don't know if it is or not. So he's mad about that. Or just the mad, he's mad that he's buried in Cleveland and then they go ahead and name a, a team, the Indians, you know, kind of stuck in Cleveland. And now he's got to watch an Indians game, you know, from across the street there. So he kind of wanders over there and disrupts the games. It's kind of funny. He's, I guess he wanders the cemetery as well and you know, creates all kinds of problems. I, although I've never seen a specific story about something he's done. Or, you know, again, another haunting, like we were talking about the Merchant Ball, you know, right. having a specific story. It sounds like there are some fans who might believe the superstition because I did see online where uh, his grave is often adorned with little tokens. Like yeah, maybe there, people are yeah. trying to apologize. What did right. you see? I, I saw there just there's a lot of people place stones there. You know, there's a, I saw a Cleveland Indians keychain was okay. on top of it on top of the stone marker. Yeah, it's just all kinds of little trinkets, stuff like that. Now I haven't been there. I mean, is it walkable? Like if you're going to a game, can you walk oh, yeah, over fans, visit the him? Fans, and... The fans will park on on the far side of the cemetery and walk directly through. It's just the cemetery is a small cemetery. It's almost like perfectly square, and it just there's a road that goes right down the center. And people walk that from, they park along, like I said, the far side and walk through it right to the stadium. 
the stadium is literally right across the street. Okay. Oh so, my gosh. Know, and ghosts have no problem crossing the street. So well, no. no. <laughs> and if and if you're if you believe in ghosts, it sounds like he has plenty of reason to come over and be a little upset. Yes. Yeah. So I'm glad you mentioned the vandal. The, I had read that it was vandalized in 1907. His grave. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so. All right. Well, that wasn't soon after then. That was quite several yeah. decades after. Yeah. So. All yeah, right. So if he did it, he was sure patient about doing it because yeah, he waited. Exactly. He waited a while. <laughs> so, all right, Michael, let's go to mystery number three. This one is really interesting. It's There is a grave in uh, Cleveland that belongs to a woman named Gloria Pressman, a real woman. The interesting thing is every website you see about the cemetery, they promote her as being one of their celebrities, So now she is reportedly a child movie star from the early days of film. And we're talking about Lakeview Cemetery, just one of the the most historic cemeteries in in maybe in the country. But you'll know something is up if you look for her on the Find a Grave website, because the first two words of her bio are alleged actress. (laughs) That's because Gloria's connection to Hollywood might have completely been invented after her death. If you Google her online, you'll see Gloria Pressman credited with being a child movie star in the 20s and 30s, appearing in many of the original Little Rascals R Gang films as the girl with the Dutch boy hairstyle. Her filmography includes appearing in the first talking motion picture, The Jazz Singer, and she was said to have had roles in The Virginian with Gary Cooper and Moby Dick with John Barrymore. That was a very early version of Moby Dick. These bios said she used the stage name Mildred Jackson. Now, many have taken all of this information for granted. Like I said, she is listed in publications that detail famous people buried in Northeast Ohio. She's been mentioned as this child star in press releases about history-themed events in the Cleveland area. But here's the thing. Neither the name Gloria Pressman nor Mildred Jackson show up in the credits for any Hollywood movie. And that little girl in The Little Rascals with the Dutch boy haircut, her name was Mary Ann Jackson, not Mildred Jackson. And she was a real person with a verifiable life. She died in Los Angeles in 2003. She absolutely was not Gloria Pressman. So what is going on? I found a really interesting discussion about this on a webpage called MidwestGuest.com where two people came out in support of Gloria's resume saying they knew her. In 2014, a woman named Susie O'Reilly submitted a comment saying she worked for Gloria Pressman's husband, Dr. Wesley Pressman, in Shaker Heights in the 1970s. She said it was her understanding that Gloria's father worked at a movie studio in California, and he had gotten his daughter a role in Our Gang. She went on to say Gloria Pressman supposedly had a scrapbook full of clippings from that time in her childhood, although it sounds like this woman did not see that book herself. On that same web discussion, a woman named Linda Preston weighed in a year later in 2015, saying she knew Gloria and Wes Pressman and saw an autographed book that Gloria had 
filled with the names of people that included Gary Cooper from The Virginian and Jackie Cooper from Our Gang. But again, nobody could produce any actual evidence of this. So Michael, I know you found this controversy when you were researching Gloria Pressman for your Facebook project. What do you think? Is Gloria the real deal or some strange invention on the internet that just got carried away? Well, you, more than anybody else, knows that you have to have reliable sources. You know, for as long as you wrote stories and investigated them, you couldn't say much without having a source to back it up, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, if they have a scrapbook or an autograph book, first of all, that thing's got to be worth a lot of money. Oh, yeah. (laughs) To to, to lose something like that would be, wow. I mean, how do you lose something like that? Or how does it get misplaced? But I guess it can happen. But without, like you said, without the, the evidence, I mean, anybody could claim anything and I'm not saying they're lying. You know, maybe these people really did know them and maybe these stories are even true, but without the evidence, how do you, you can't back it up. You yeah. wouldn't write anything like that. Would you, if you were writing a story? Absolutely would you, not. You know, it would have to be alleged. It'd have to be a source says something like that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm amazed at how many web pages mention her. I mean, it, yeah. somebody picked it up, and now it's just all over. You can see her listed as being Everywhere, this child yeah. movie star. Michael, here's my idea, my theory on this. After reading the comments from those two women, I wonder if she actually did live in Los Angeles and that her dad was involved in the early film industry, and maybe she was an extra. Could be. And, you know, they, the extras don't get credit. And right, actually, right. back then, very minor actors often didn't get credit in the film either. And maybe, you know, they, they, somebody would say, hey, we need a family walking in the background while Gary Cooper is shooting the bad guy. Right. And this guy says, well, you know, my daughter's the right age. You know, honey, go walk across the street. And maybe she was just an extra. I'm Richard Serrett. Join me on Strange Planet for in-depth conversations with the world's top paranormal investigators, alien abductees, Bigfoot trackers, monster hunters, time travelers, alternative archaeologists, remote viewers, and more. As I was on the way to Area 51, I was stopping on the side of the road and just taking measurements, and I found this one spot where time slowed down by a fraction of a second. It's not supposed to do that. From the two big categories, animal mutilations and human abductions, you have to conclude that genetic material is being harvested. Well, I reached for a rifle and uh, I, I turned and looked and it was, it was already moving away and it was descending the bluff. I, there's no way any human could have went down it. It was probably a 75 degree angle straight down almost. On Richard Serrett's Strange Planet, we're redefining reality. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Do not go any further. Turn around. Go home. I wonder if we could check the census records back there back in, at those times and see if those, like you said, the family, if they, if they did live there, if they're listed in the census, if that would show anything. Uh, you, you know, know what? Some enterprising soul out there is going to do that for us because, Good. yeah, you can do that. So yeah. if you're into family genealogy out there, folks, uh, do this research. Write me at feedback at ohiomysteries.com and let us know what you find out and we'll update people because there's got to be some clues to this. All right. Well, listen, we've got uh, two final mysteries that are kind of similar. Mysteries number four and five. These are about two cases where competing cemeteries claim to have the same body. And 
it's funny how this can even happen. The first one we're going to bring up is Herbert Rice Penny. H.R. Penny was the brother of the department store tycoon J.C. Penny. He was vice president of his brother's company and worked to develop many of the stores. There isn't a whole lot out there about HR. The Penny children were born in Missouri, and J.C. spent his life between New York City and the West Coast. But at some point in his life, H.R. settled in Columbus, Ohio, and that's where he was when he died in 1966, leaving an estate worth almost $5 million. H.R. Penny was a big enough deal that two cemeteries in Columbus insist they've got him. Making matters a little confusing in this story are that both places have Green Lawn in their name because they're both on Green Lawn Avenue, though they are not affiliated in any way. One is Green Lawn Cemetery, so we're just going to call that one the cemetery. The other is Green Lawn Abbey, that's a century-old two-story mausoleum that's on the National Register of Historic Places. So going forward, Michael, we're just going to refer to that one as the mausoleum. So Michael learned about these two competing sites on the Find a Grave website, then went and visited both cemeteries to see if he could figure it out. Michael, tell us about your visit first to the mausoleum. What did they have to say about their claim to H.R. Penny? I went there in 2015. Uh, they're not open to the public. You have to actually, if you want to get in there, you have to call somebody and they have to let you in and meet you there and let you in. And uh, They're restoring the place and, and the restoration has been going on for a number of years now. So it's not open every day like you know a, a regular cemetery or mausoleum might be. But anyway, I was there in 2015. We went on Memorial Day because that was the one day it was open to the public that year. And uh, I got to HR's vault area there where he's, he's interred and there was a, a volunteer there and i you know i asked him i go you know or i told him i go you know there's a find a grave has two references to penny one being buried here and one being buried at the cemetery down the street and he was aware of it he go and he was confident that the, that penny was buried in the mausoleum and he told me what they did was they drilled a hole in his vault in the front of his vault and they inserted a metal rod and the metal rod hit something which to them meant that he was buried there, like a casket or something was in there. So that was proof enough for them, you know, and they were satisfied enough to say that he was buried there. And the official records there say he's buried there. And I actually came across a newspaper article that said, you know, when he died, that he was going to be interred in the mausoleum. So that was their, they were satisfied enough to say that he was still buried there because of the simple test that they performed. So I went to the, I called Greenlawn Cemetery. I, when I talked to the guy at the cemetery, he said that he, he was confident he was buried at the cemetery with his wife, Anna, uh, that they were in the mausoleum there. So I mentioned to the guy that they say that down the street, they say he's buried in the mausoleum. And he was confident, he was very polite about it, but he was confident that their records were correct at the cemetery and that H.R. Penny and his wife, Anna, are buried or interred in the mausoleum there. So, so, so do you have a guess as to what's going on? I mean, obviously they can't be in both places. Right. Well, what I had heard uh, was that when H.R. Penny died, he was in, indeed interred into the mausoleum. His wife died many years later, and she didn't want to be buried there because at that point the mausoleum had been uh, had run out of funding, funding, and it was it was basically shut down. It was dirty. It had been vandalized, and she just didn't want to go in there. So the story goes that she was she opted to be buried in Greenlawn Cemetery, 
And when she was put in there, they went and got HR's body and put him in there with her. And that's how he ended up in the cemetery. Okay. But there's no record. There's no record of this. I mean, you would think I can see the mausoleum not having a record because it was was run down. It wasn't really operating. Nobody would have kept a record of it. But they should have a record of him being transferred, you know, at the cemetery. You know, I would think. Right. But, right. But they say there's nothing there. I couldn't find him in anything. But like you said, maybe some of your listeners can track something down and come up with a piece of paper that says he was interred there along with his wife, whatever year she died. I'm not sure. So our theory is that they were, the wife uh, was buried in the cemetery. They moved HR to the cemetery to be with her. Correct. But the mausoleum, which was just really in disrepair at the time and not really organized, just left their marker there and continues to be under the delusion that somebody (laughs) is behind that marker. Yeah, like I said, they inserted this rod in there and they hit something. So to them, whatever it hit, I guess they think is a casket or, I mean, I don't know what's on the other side of that vault. I mean, the only way we're going to find out is to open one of these vaults and see what's there. Well, we've got got a very similar mystery uh, with the gravesite of Philip Cody. So this is our last mystery. Philip Cody was the patriarch of the Cody clan. They came uh, from Canada to the United States and begat the famous Buffalo Bill Cody. So Philip Cody settled in Cleveland. And while Buffalo Bill, his grandson, lived most of his life in Kansas, he was sent to Cleveland to live with family here when he was a teenager. Teenager. Of course, he didn't stay here long. Buffalo Bill headed out west for his destiny. He was a Pony Express rider, then a soldier. Uh, he earned a reputation and his nickname for killing Buffalo. Um, but he's best known for being a showman. Uh, in 1883, he founded Buffalo Bill's Wild West, which was a theatrical touring company that traveled throughout the United States and Europe. So our mystery isn't about Buffalo Bill, though. It's about the guy who brought the family to the United States, his grandpa. And there are two cemeteries who claim to be the final resting place of the patriarch, East Cleveland Cemetery and Lakeview Cemetery. Now, the official burial records of East Cleveland Cemetery has Philip Cody buried there. They have a section number and a plot number, but there is no grave marker. It's the absolute reverse of that at Lakeview, where they have a grave marker for Philip Cody. But if you look for Grandpa in the official burial records for the cemetery, you won't find it. There's no official record of him there. So, Michael, I know you've looked into this. What's going on? Yeah, this is interesting. I I, <laughs> I called the cemetery just real quick. I called Lakeview, and they never returned my call. So I'm going to actually have to go down there in person, I think, and drag somebody out to the... They, there's a Cody family plot out there at Lakeview. There's a, there's several Cody uh, member, family members buried there. But So I guess the only way I'm going to get somebody to talk to me about that is to go out there and bring him to the plot and show him the, the grave marker there. But what I found out was I, I found out that originally... Philip Cody, the grandfather, and his wife Lydia were buried in a cemetery on 105th Street, uh, at the corner of 105th and Euclid. Uh, this was an old cemetery. It was like a church there. It was almost just kind of a graveyard, small graveyard. What happened was as expansion occurred, pretty, that's pretty much Cleveland Clinic now. That's all Cleveland Clinic now. But as things were expanding, the graveyard was 
was closed and the bodies were removed. And Philip Cody's grandson made arrangements to have the bodies moved to the East Cleveland Cemetery, which is why they have a record. So the stone is said to have been in this old cemetery too, as well as the bodies. So when the bodies were moved, I'm guessing the stone was moved, but where was the stone moved to? Was it moved to East Cleveland Cemetery? Did the grandson hold, literally hold onto the stone? I, I don't, and then decide to put it in Lakeview later? I don't know what happened. So that's, it's kind of a crazy thing as, as to what, why the stones in Lakeview and, and are the bodies really in East Cleveland or were those moved to when the stone was moved, if it was moved? A lot of, a lot of questions here. Wow. So, yeah, who knows? Maybe they moved Philip to East Cleveland Cemetery, that but somebody had kept the stone, and then they yeah. decided, well, we got to do something with this stone. Let's put it with the family plot. Maybe that's why there's a stone there, but maybe the bodies are really at East Cleveland. That could be. Again, like with H.R. Penny, the only way is to dig it up and see. But, yeah, I got a feeling that maybe the grandson held onto the stone and put it in the family plot at Lakeview, you know, as you said, patriarch of the family, you know, just kind of as a, as a you know, unity of family. He yeah. put it there with the rest of the, just at least the stone. Maybe the the bodies were too much to cost effect, you know, wasn't the right, you know, too much money to pick them up. I don't know. Right. You know, and bring them there too. Or maybe they did. I don't, you know, who knows? Well, <laughs> apparently they already dug them up, moved them once. They once, right. Yeah. Yeah. How many times yeah. can we do this? Right, exactly. <laughs> wow. So we don't know where he's at. Well, I'm, I, again, I think he, they're buried in East Cleveland Cemetery and for some reason the stone somehow ended up in Lakeview for some reason. Yeah. Wow. Michael, we have managed to squeeze five mysteries into a single episode. Well done. Great, great. This is a lot of fun. Well, thanks for joining us, and please keep sharing your wonderful research for us. I'm trying. Hopefully I get enough uh, graves to visit for the next few years anyway. And if our listeners uh, are not on your Facebook page yet, again, it's called Too Late for Autographs, Ohio. Right. And just go there. It's it's a wonderful history lesson. I, I am surprised by the posts that you've made of people that I don't know. And I find my, you know, I consider myself a really good Ohio history lover. And when you post people that I haven't heard of before, it just delights me to think there's so much more that I can learn out there. Yeah, that's why I said at the beginning, there's just so much history here that people just aren't aware of. Just don't know it. That's it for tonight, listeners. For photos, news clippings, and more on this and every episode, hop on over to ohiomysteries.com. Also, for more shows like ours, head on over to killerpodcasts.com. We are a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. The Battle of Waterloo was one of the most famous turning points in world history. But what happened next? My name's David Montgomery, and I'm the host of The Siecla a history podcast that tackles exactly that. Join me as I cover France's overlooked century in between Napoleon and World War I. The Siècle, spelled S-I-E-C-L-E, is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and can be found wherever you get podcasts.